This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity. My name is Zach Lutz. If you do not know me, I am the senior pastor here, and we have been in a sermon series on the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah, which we're going to be continuing today in Zechariah chapter 8. And uh, we've mentioned it a little bit this morning already as we tried to tie uh, the service together. Um, But I'd, I'd like to ask you what you think about when you think about the Lord's blessing. What does the Lord's blessing mean? Do you believe that you are blessed when you get raises at work, when you're spared from an illness that everyone else seems to get? Do you tend to think that you've earned those blessings ever? That God is so pleased with your religiosity, so he spared you, so he promoted you, so he prospered you? So we've got a problem, uh, you and I. Uh, we're, we're all together in this. We think that God's blessing means material blessings. We think that God's blessing means that our lives will improve according to our own standards. But that's not what God says his blessings really are. Now, if you are a student of God's scripture, you might know that God said his plans for us are good and to prosper us. And God's word uh, says that in the book of Jeremiah. We know that that is true. And yet, I just want to remind you of some of the good and prosperous stories of the saints. Stephen, in the New Testament, God's plan for Stephen was that he would be stoned to death while preaching the gospel. Peter, God's good and prosperous plan for Peter was that Peter would be unjustly tried and crucified upside down. The Apostle Paul, it was God's good plan for Paul to be shipwrecked, sick, beaten, jailed, wrongfully accused, and ultimately killed. Do you think these men experienced God's blessing? Does it line up with what blessings you think you should be receiving from God? Zechariah chapter 8 is going to tell us what true blessing from the Lord looks like. It has a lot less to do with material blessing than it does with the kind of people that we become. That we become true worshipers who witness. True worshipers who witness. We're going to study these three blessings that God gives us. Truthfulness, worshiping from the heart, and witnessing. And as we study these this morning, I think we'll discover that God's blessing, although radically different than what we think his blessing should be for us, is so much better than we could have possibly imagined. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. The entirety of Zechariah chapter 8, guys, um, I really did try to go through verse 13, uh, which is why when we send these into the printer, uh, and Natalia, who is um, actually on her army uh, reserve uh, training once, once a year, so she is, she's gone, she's working that job, and then she's also working for us still from a distance. So she's making these bulletins, she asked for the sermon text, um, and I gave her the sermon text because I was like, I could do the, just the first 13. Uh, and as I wrote the sermon, I was like, I can't do just the first 13. So I put an insert in your bulletin, and hopefully you have the whole chapter there. Uh, and so we're going to read the whole chapter of uh, chapter 8 of Zechariah. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. 
Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace, the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So today we're going to be exploring what the blessing of God actually looks like. And if we're honest, we're looking at that first part of that passage, um, and we're saying to ourselves, uh, that seems like a lot of material blessing, and I'm going to get there at the end of the sermon, so just hold on. But we're going to start, actually, a little bit further in with what God says this blessing is going to, be look, uh, is going to look like, because we can see uh, in verse 13, God say, I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. And then he transitions in 14, and he says, as I purpose to bring disasters to your forefathers, verse 15, so again, if I purpose to bring these days good to Jerusalem, these are the things that you should do in order to be a blessing. It's all kind of one thought that he's threading through. In order for you to be a blessing, 
Here's what I'm commanding you to do. So the first thing that God is commanding us to do to be a blessing, that he has enabled us to do, is to be truthful. Look at verse 15. I purpose, God says, of his own volition, not because Israel did anything good. He didn't list out all the ways that he's impressed them. Uh, They've impressed him with their fasting or their religiosity. He just says, I have purposed to do it, to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And how will this be brought in verse 16? This is what you shall do. Speak truth, render true judgments, make peace, do not devise evil, do not love a false oath. The first blessing that God gives us is that we would be truthful people. You ever thought about that as a blessing? That you'd be able to tell the truth? It doesn't sound like that big of a deal until you consider how often we all lie. Zechariah, earlier in his book, has talked about lying, and we explored it there in that sermon if you were there with us. But here's the deal, just in summary, we are all liars. Even here in church today, we are afraid of being too honest with one another. So we obscure, we hide, we tuck away. But more than just vulnerability, often telling the truth means a lot of inconvenience for us, doesn't it? I recently received a parking ticket on two parking tickets, actually, on Memorial Day at Piñones Beach. I had to drive all the way to Luisa Pueblo to pay the ticket. Each ticket was $200. But if you pay early, you get a 25% discount. So I ended up paying $300 in total. And all the while, I was thinking, maybe there's a way I can get out of this. It wasn't clearly marked, you know? There was tons of other people parked there, but I wasn't the only one that got a ticket but I paid it. I paid it because I honestly saw the yellow paint as I was leaving that day, even though I was frustrated. I saw it again as I was driving past it to go pay the ticket. I'm like, that's where I parked, and I shouldn't have. Now, unless you think I'm too holy here in my honesty, uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how I paid a 30 extra dollars to get those same cars to pass inspection, because they weren't going to. But sometimes I think, we do this. And I, and I caught myself doing the same thing. I wonder if you've ever done it. I caught myself thinking, maybe if I pay this $300 ticket, it atones a little bit for the $30 bribe. And maybe you scoff at this. Maybe you're like, well, this is just how life is. Sometimes you've got to pay tickets. Sometimes you've got to uh, kind of pay your way to get through certain things. Maybe I paid the $300 because secretly I believe that when God sees it, it's sowing some sort of seed of honesty. And God sees it and he's like, wow, you have been so honest. I'll reward you with $3,000 down the line. Maybe I believe in a little bit of karma. Karma isn't Christian. It's pagan. What I ought to experience in that moment of paying $300 is the freedom of becoming more like Jesus. Honest, truthful, changing myself from a person who does everything he can to protect himself and his own money to a person who walks in this world with honesty and integrity. And you can almost say the same thing about the $30 bribe. I carry that before the cross of Jesus in honesty and integrity. 
saying, Lord, I, I lied. And you had to pay for it. The blessing of being able to be a truthful person is greater than you could possibly imagine. But it terrifies us because we don't know if we'll actually be safe. We've been seemingly thinking that we're looking out for ourselves for so long that to actually be truthful, for people to actually know who I really was would be dangerous for me. God's blessing to you is that you no longer have to walk through this world wondering what would happen if people found out the true you. If people really knew what was going on in your life. The blessing is that you are known and that you are loved and that you are empowered to die to your sin and live unto holiness no matter what has gone before. Now to be sure, when you tell the truth, there may be some consequences. Uh, there may be some fines. There may be some restitution that you owe. And I don't know if you guys know the story about Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is this guy in the New Testament, and he climbs up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And, and Jesus comes to his house. Jesus comes to him. And when Zacchaeus experiences the love of God for him, he says, whatever wrong I have done, I will pay it back with interest. At whatever loss to myself. Because I have known the greatest love there ever was. The blessing to be a truthful person signifies that something deeper has gone on. But that's not the only blessing that we've received. In addition to truthfulness, God says that you'll also want to worship from the heart. And this comes in verses 18 and 19. Just a little bit of context. Uh, if you were with us last week, you might remember that in chapter 7, uh, the, chapter 7 and 8 go together. They're kind of the same uh, part of the story. And there was this group of people that had come to the prophet Zechariah, and they had asked him, Zechariah, do we need to continue doing these fasts? Uh, because these fasts that we were doing was because Jerusalem had been ransacked and the temple had been destroyed, but now, now God is letting us rebuild the temple and people are living in Jerusalem. Uh, surely we can be done with this religious um, baggage, right? God's favor is upon us. But what they betrayed in that moment and what we talked about last week was that their worship was coming from the wrong place. They were trying to use their worship to get something out of God. They were trying to coerce his blessing from him by their self-deprivation. Self they thought that maybe God would be pleased with the fact that they're hungry. They thought maybe, you know, uh, God wants me to experience a little bit of pain. And so I'll inflict this pain on myself, and then he'll give me what I want. It was a transactional relationship. I'll give God what he wants, and he'll give me what I want. And we do the same thing. I don't know if you've ever bargained with God. I know I have. God, I'll say, God, I'll never sin this sin again if you just X, Y, Z. Unfortunately, God sees through this ruse because it's not worship. It's manipulation. We wanted to find the terms, and we think that we're somehow on bartering terms with God. But if you've read any of the Bible, it should be a painfully and apparently clear that we are nowhere near bartering terms with God. So how do we know when we're truly worshiping from the heart? How do we know if that's evident in our lives? And you know, I think we can experience it sometimes in the highs of life, but I think it shows up much more realistically in the lows. 
I recently heard a story about a woman who was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder, and she had two young children. She's essentially bedridden because of the pain, and, and she was not a Christian when she was diagnosed. And she's telling the story, she said, and I was angry. I was angry. I knew my value, and I knew my worth, and this isn't the life that I deserved. Now, she came to know the Lord uh, through, through another story, and in the midst of her suffering, in the midst of the hospital bed, partaking of only bits and pieces of her children's life, this is what she could say. She could say, I'm happy. Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard. But I'm happy because I've known the greatest love there ever was. She had truly found what the Apostle Paul was describing. Joy no matter the circumstance. No matter the highs, no matter the lows, no matter the thorns in the side. And that is a blessing. To be able to embody Christ's likeness there, to where even on our crosses, we cry out, Lord, forgive them, they know not what they do. To be formed in the image of Christ such that we worship even in the lowest. That is a blessing from God. Are you joyful no matter the circumstance? Because you know the greatest love there ever was? Or do you find yourself resentful angry, wounded, and hurt. Because even if you feel that way, I promise you that God can take it. And he wants to hear from you. I would encourage you to take that pain to him, and I think that you would find that he would bless you by causing you to worship by so many, like so many other saints in Scripture. There's one more true blessing that we receive from God, and it's found in verses 20 through 23. It says, Many nations shall come to entreat the favor of the Lord. And do you know who, by God's blessing, they will go to? Look at verse 23. Ten men will take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God's, God's blessing, the way that they're going to be a blessing, the thing that he's commanded them to do, is to testify to his goodness. And their testimony by their lives, by their truthful worship, it would cause the nations to flock to Jerusalem, grab hold of them and say, we know that God is with you. Take us with you. Now, maybe this seems like a particular promise to Jewish people, but you know what? It belongs to all of us who are united in the only true Jew there ever was, Christ Jesus. Not long ago, we preached through Ephesians, and in chapter 2, it says that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. With his blood and with his body, he created one man from the two. And he preached peace. Peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. So that all of us might be built into a new temple of the Lord with Christ himself as the cornerstone. Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father after his resurrection, till he should come back to judge the living and the dead, he said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the blessing that we see foreshadowed in Zechariah, that we will be truthful worshipers, but finally we will bear witness. We will be a testimony. People will come to us as we live this truthful, worshiping life, and they will grab hold of us, and they will say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. 
don't know what you think about witnessing and testimony and testifying. We most often think of evangelism. And I think if I were to ask most of you, I think evangelism terrifies us. We're kind of intimidated by it. There's maybe a few percentage of you that feel really emboldened by it and you want to go out and do it. Uh, And you're weird. You should know that. (laughs) The rest of us are terrified about it. Um, I think sometimes we're afraid because we don't, we, we know that we won't have the right words to say or because we have unanswered questions ourselves. But I'd like to argue that you're never going to have the right words to say. Only Jesus will. And that you'll always have unanswered questions. And the way that you might witness most faithfully is by being honest, truthful, and worshiping. Honest with where you struggle. Honest with where you struggle to depend upon the promises of God. Honest with those parts of his word that really strike you as difficult, that you can't quite make sense of. Honest with what you've experienced in Christ Jesus himself. The freedom to be made new, to be washed clean, to live a true and faithful life before the eyes of others. If you tell the truth... I think that you'll find that people are going to start asking you why you're doing that <laughs> because our world just doesn't want you to. They, they want you to start uh, doing, you know, what is normal and protecting yourself. And we have this modicum of what is socially acceptable um, as lies. But, but if you really strive towards truth, I think you'll find that people are like, what's wrong with you? Now, they may not hear what you have to say. It's not really within your power uh, anyway to, to make them believe the Holy Spirit. But when you're not afraid to disclose personal weakness in a board meeting, why you had mercy on this person that wronged you, why you inconvenienced yourself for the sake of another, this will only bear witness to a life truly blessed by God. Now, if you're doing all these things, because you can do these things, you can bear witness, you can tell the truth, and you can worship in order to manipulate gods to your own ends, the world is going to see uh, your faith and your religion just like every other world religion. These are the true blessings that God describes in Zechariah chapter 8. Not material blessings, not prosperity, not health, truthfulness, worship, and witness. And as I promised, what about the first part of Zechariah 8? <laughs> The part about the faithful city, the holy mountain, the most vulnerable, the elderly, and the children playing. Do you see that in verses 1 through 5? That sounds like material blessing. What about in verse 12, where it says that there will be a sowing of peace, the vine shall give fruit, ground produce, heavens dew, and this remnant will possess all things. This also sounds like material blessing, and that's true. You got me. But do you know when God says it's going to happen? When God comes to dwell with us. Verse 3, when he returns and when he dwells. Verse 7, he's going to save his people from the east and from the west. End of verse 12, I will cause this remnant of people to possess all these things. End of verse 13, I will save you and you shall be a blessing. We've got a problem with our theology, specifically our, our blessing theology. And in some ways it can be summarized like this. What would Jesus do? You guys remember, they used to wear them as like wristbands? Now, in some ways, this is a fine question to ask ourselves. 
before moral dilemmas. But I think that most of us twist this in our heart, and we, we start thinking this instead. If I don't do what Jesus would have done, I'll be cursed. I won't receive the promised blessing. I'll end up in the place of weeping and gnashing of, the te- and gnashing of teeth. I'll get demoted. I will lose material blessings. This is a fundamental distortion of the gospel. The word gospel means good news, and be better is not good news. Be better is the same message as every other religion. The good news is not, will I do what Jesus would do? The good news is, what has Jesus already done? Before they were commanded to do any of these things that they were commanded to do at the back half of this passage, they were told for 12 complete verses what God would do on their behalf. Before they had received any blessing to go be a blessing, any truthfulness, any worship, any witness, before they had done anything that they needed, 12 whole verses reminding them who God was to them. See, here's the deal. We, we, got, a, we got a taste of this, and we can see it in the New Testament. Jesus, God himself, became incarnate and walked among us. He dwelt with us. This is simply what God purposed to do. None of us were asking that God might come in the flesh. In fact, if you look at people's responses when Jesus walked on this earth, they're frankly a little confused about why God had to come at all, even though they had the letter of Zechariah. (laughs) God says why in in our passage, in verse 3, He said, I'm going to have to come dwell with you in order to make the city faithful, in order to make the mountain holy. And you know what's interesting? Uh, In Zechariah's day, there were people living in Jerusalem, but God's about to speak right here. I mean, Zechariah's living in Jerusalem. That's where he's prophesying, right? They've returned from exile. Um, So there's people there. There's, There's not a ton of people, but there's people there. They're starting to rebuild the temple. But God acts as if there's no people there. God walks in and he says, no, 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 I need to come into Jerusalem and I need to make it holy. And once it is holy, I will go get my children that are far off in the east and far off in the west. And I know I'm not pointing the right directions. I'm sorry. Don't know. Never mind, I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm going to go get my people who are far off in the east and far off in the west. I'm going to bring them in. And I'm going to bless them. You know what Jesus did when he came He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Came to seek and save the lost, his lost sheep. Do you know when Jesus says this? Right before he enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. When he's riding into donkey, people are shouting Hosanna and they're singing a psalm. And the psalm is about God returning to dwell with his people in Israel. And they're singing about him. Jesus rides in on that donkey, comes to dwell in our midst. You know what he does next? He goes into the temple and he cleanses it of all its uncleanness so that his children might be brought in. No one asked Jesus to do this. He purposed to do it. Jesus is the one who inaugurated a new and better kingdom, a new and better temple. He purified the city and made a holy mountain where the most vulnerable were cared for, the elderly and the children. With him, there was a sowing of peace. The vine gave fruit. 
the ground produce, the heavens rain. And for all those who are found in Christ Jesus, they will inherit all of these blessings because when he returns to dwell permanently here, he will not fail to bring these blessings with him. But Jesus said his kingdom is not yet fully here and that he was going to leave and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to teach us and between now and then, you're to take up your crosses and follow me. Crosses are heavy. Crosses are painful. Crosses involve death, not prosperity. And God promised to bless you while you carry your crosses, to bless you with Christ's likeness, with truthfulness, worship, and witness. Now, I don't know what you think about these blessings. Maybe these aren't the kind of blessings that you're looking for, but these blessings can never, ever be taken away. I'd like to consider the story of Job. Job is often a hard case study for us because of our bad blessing theology. Because we look at his life and we're like, how, how, how could God allow, allow this? If you don't know the story of Job, here's what happens. God permits Satan to take everything from Job. He loses his business, his home, his children, and his health all in one day. But Job was blessed by the Lord. And do you know how? If you read through that long book, because it is long, <laughs> and you flip through the pages, you'll see that Job continues to be truthful as he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He continues to worship God, and he will not curse God, although his friends are tempting him to. And he continues to bear witness to what God has done in his life and trust those promises that God will make it right. These blessings, truth, worship, and witness, no one can take them away from you, not even Satan himself, because they are blessings in Christ Jesus. The greatest blessing you have ever received is what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. This is what the New Testament author James has to say about Job, reflecting on it from the New Testament. He said, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We have gravely misinterpreted what the blessings of the Lord means. And we have unfortunately made them into idols themselves. So we worship the blessings of the Lord rather than the Lord himself who blesses. But in spite of all this, the Lord is here declaring to you again, just like he was declaring to these people who came to him, asking if they could be done with this aspect of worship. He's declaring to them again, do you know how far I'll go for you? Do you know how far? And you know, the people in Zechariah's day, they get an inkling here. But we have a much clearer picture. God's own son would come to rescue us from ourselves. To bless us with truthfulness, with, with worship, and with witness. 
and make promises to us just that are made here and says, when I return to dwell with you, when my kingdom comes in its fullness, this is truly how it will be. Jesus really has done it all. And all those who find their rest in him find a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. A burden of immense blessing, despite what the world has to say about it. Of course, the way that Jesus blessed and provided for his people uh, is, is what we celebrate here in this meal. He took his very body and his very blood, though he was perfect, though he had a right to all of the blessings described there in the first part of Zechariah 8, and he could seize them for himself in some sense, he laid it all down in order to rescue a people for himself, to bless them. The night that Jesus was betrayed, when his disciples rejected him, he took bread and having blessed it, he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I am ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. This table is for Christians who have been baptized and are members in good standing of a church that preaches the good news. Not to be better news. So if this doesn't describe you, we'd ask that you would refrain from participating in this table, not because uh, we think you're unworthy, uh, but because Jesus himself gives him a warning, or gives you a warning. And he says it's dangerous for you to declare something here with your outward actions that is not an inward reality. His promises are always there always ready. But if your heart is not there, if you're not worshiping in, in truth and in honesty and witness, but you're worshiping to manipulate him, pass by today. Use that as an opportunity to reflect on God's promises to you, how far he was willing to go, and worship him for what he has done here at this table. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we can come down the center aisle. Uh, there's a serving station over here and right here. If you require gluten-free, the gluten-free option is only at that table, so you're going to want to go that way, and then notify your server. Then there's red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience, um, and as you can partake as you head back to your seats, um, and then do try to make sure that the little cups end in the trash can. That helps our sister church that follows after us. If you would, please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we would ask that even in this meal, we would taste what you have done for us that your body and blood, Jesus, would bless us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would transform these common elements to their spiritual use, to remind us of what you have done, how far you were willing to go, and that we would take hold of the promises declared here, that you will not fail to return and to make all things right. We ask that you would use this food, this spiritual food, to spiritually nourish us, to be people who are truthful, worshiping, and bearing testimony to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.